We'll now turn to God's holy word. We'll read together, first of all, from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, and then we'll turn to Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 24, the Lord Jesus speaks about the coming judgment. We know that the fulfillment of these words here already took place. The first fulfillment took place in 70 AD with the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple. But we also know with prophecy, there are also ongoing fulfillments as well. And so Paul in Thessalonians chapter 2 also makes some references to things that Christ mentions here in this and we see that some of those the prophecies of the Lord Jesus are still prophecies that continued to be fulfilled. So let's read together from Matthew chapter 24. We begin at verse 1. And we read to the end of verse 29. And then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then, many will be, and then many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation as spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand, and then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. You see, I have told you beforehand. And therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east 
and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For whoever, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those dark of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So far, reading of the Gospel of Matthew in the words of our Lord Jesus, and then we'll turn to uh, Paul's second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter two. In two Thessalonians, chapter two, our text. Or the first eight verses, we'll read to the end of verse 10, just to place it within its context. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the fallen, fallen away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God and shown himself that he is God. Do you not remember that, I was, that when I was still with you I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming." So far, our text, and we'll continue reading a couple of verses. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. So far, our reading from God's holy word. Brothers, sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul begins the second letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1, by giving encouragement to the believers in the city. The believers are suffering from persecution because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins in chapter 1 by giving thanks to God that in spite of the persecutions that the believers are enduring, yet he also hears that they continue to grow in their faith and that their love for one another is increasing. Paul says this is testimony that the Lord God is indeed at work among you and is indeed at work here within this congregation because if God wasn't at work, then those kind of things wouldn't happen and you wouldn't grow in your faith and you wouldn't either increase in your love for one another. So after Paul has then begun with those words of encouragement and he speaks of the fact that uh, he ends that he, with the fact that he also continually prays uh, for them and for their well-being. Then we come to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul is going to deal with the main reason why he is writing this letter to this uh, congregation. For on the one hand, while the congregation is indeed growing in their faith, he has said in chapter 1, 
Yet he also hears that they are becoming unsettled in their minds. And they're becoming unsettled in their minds because of the question concerning the return of our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. We know that the believers in Thessalonica were expecting Christ's return to be imminent, to be in their lifetime. And what's been happening now is that they're hearing reports or rumors that the day of the Lord's coming has already come. The Lord Jesus has already returned from heaven is what they're hearing. And these believers don't really know what to make out of those reports and those rumors. Is it possible? They're thinking to themselves, the Lord Jesus has returned from heaven. And that we're not aware of that? Did we maybe miss the return of our Lord Jesus Christ? And obviously, it is something that was weighing very heavy on on their minds. It was making their minds unsettled, Paul says. And that's why Paul needs to write this second letter. And the second letter probably would have been written within six months of the first letter. Because this is an, an issue that needs to be urgently addressed. Because it's causing so much unrest among the people in the congregation. And so while this is a question that indeed the the believers were wrestling with in Thessalonica, beloved, it's also a question that remains relevant for believers today. Today we know that also in the Christian world there are many, many believers whose minds are preoccupied with thinking about the coming with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. You witness that, for example, in the many novels that are written and many other kinds of books as well that are written about this theme of the perusia, of the return or of the coming of the Lord Jesus, sometimes also referred to as the rapture. And so within the Christian world, at large, there are also many different opinions. There are many different theories about the return of the Lord Jesus. And the result is that many people, many believers also are confused today. But what will happen when the Lord Jesus returns? Now here in this letter, the Apostle Paul is specifically uh, writing about the situation here in this congregation. And there are things about the situation in Thessalonica that Paul doesn't reveal, doesn't write about in in his letter. He simply uh, assumes those things because the believers there, they know that. So Paul doesn't uh, write them down. And so we, as the reader many centuries later, we're left to wonder about what these believers had already been taught and what these believers already knew. Uh, that, so, so we don't really know that particular background. It seems to me that also the Holy Spirit caused these details to be left out. After all, we confess that He is the author of all of Scripture's And there's a reason why the Holy Spirit does not give us those, those details, and, and that is because he also wants to give to us general principles that can be applied not only in the days of the, Thessalon- of the Thessalonians, but also for our day in which we uh, are living. The situation in Thessalonica is different from our situation today, and yet the basic principles surrounding that question about the return and the coming of the Lord Jesus are also important for us today. Well, from this passage, we understand and we learn uh, that the day of the Lord Jesus is indeed coming. 
Paul already written about that in the first letter that he wrote uh, to, the, to the congregation. But he also made clear in that first letter that when that day will be, we, we don't know. Christ will come back. We're told like a thief in the night. You don't know when the thief is going to come back, so you, we don't know when the Lord Jesus will come back. And yet, and yet there are certain things that we can expect are going to happen and that we should expect will happen before the Lord Jesus returns. And so when we look around us, we should be able to see that some of those things, many of those things, even unfolding in the world in which we are living. And as we see those things, we are then also assured by the, the Scriptures, by God's Word, that the day of the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. And that day, it is quickly approaching. So that rather than becoming anxious and worried by the things we see around us, also in the world in which we are living, perhaps even see going on in the church, we're simply also then assured by our Lord uh, that these are signs that God is the sovereign, that He is working quickly uh, to that day when our Lord Jesus Christ will again return from heaven. And so this morning, we'll listen to God's word under this theme, the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. And under that theme, we look at three things. First of all, don't be deceived by false reports. Secondly, first, Paul says, the man of lawlessness or the man of sin will be revealed. And under that second point, we'll look at three things. That we'll see that, that which must precede the day of the Lord. Secondly, under that point, we'll look at the lawless one or the man of sin uh, will be revealed. And then the third point under, under the second point is that he is now being held back. And then the, the third point that we'll look at is then when the land of lawlessness comes, then he will be destroyed when the Lord Jesus is revealed. At the beginning of our text in verse 1, Paul clearly sets out that he is going to address the issue concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven and our being gathered together with him. You see, Paul has already written about this matter in, in the first letter. The first letter, Paul reminded the believers about the parousia. We talk about the parousia that refers to the second coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven. And so in the first letter, Paul had already warned about the sudden character of Christ's coming and therefore, Paul has warned the people, he says, you need to be spiritually ready for the return of the Lord Jesus because he can come back at any moment. Well, then, and here in this second letter, it appears that Paul needs to, uh, to deal with a misinterpretation of his first letter. Because the believers have interpreted what Paul has said in the first letter, that Christ is going to come back immediately. Paul had also written in chapter 4, verse 13 and following in the first letter, that when Christ returns, uh, then Paul said, he says, all the believers will be gathered to him. They'll be gathered to the Lord Jesus. They will meet the Lord Jesus as he comes down from heaven. And so Paul is now addressing that question that they have about Christ's return. When all believers will be gathered together with the Lord Jesus. That's the issue. Because for them, did we miss that? Being gathered with the Lord Jesus? Or is that still coming? And so Paul then writes to them in verses 1 and 2 of our text, we ask you, brothers, brothers and sisters, not to become easily unsettled 
or alarmed by some prophecy, a report, or a letter supposed to have come from us. So the reason that Paul has to write this second letter so soon after the first letter, likely within six months, is that the believers are becoming unsettled. Literally, they are being shaken in their minds, and they are being alarmed. And so, Paul is making clear, this was an issue that was disturbing them, disturbing the congregation, uh, so that many of them couldn't focus on anything else but on this particular issue, being eaten up with worry and anxiety. And the issue that they're worried about, Paul says in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, is a report that the day of the Lord has already come. That's the report that is unsettling their life. They're worried. Did we miss the coming of the Lord Jesus from heaven? Because that was what was so important to them in their situation. Did we maybe miss out on our salvation? Did we miss out on the opportunity to be gathered with our Lord Jesus? And understand, beloved, that the believers here, they're being persecuted. Paul talks about that in the first chapter. And that's why he also needs to give them encouragement. Because that persecution was taking its toll, its toll on the believers in this city. And that's why that parousia, the coming of the Lord Jesus, was such a great hope to which they were clinging each day as they were going through the persecution. They had this hope, but the Lord Jesus is coming. And when He comes, then He will deliver us from this misery. Did we, did we maybe miss it? And then we wonder, but why did they take this report, these rumors, so seriously? Why did they think there was some credibility behind the things that they're hearing? Well, Paul indicates the reason in verse 2 when he says that we've heard that you have, that you think that you've heard some prophecy, report, or letter that was supposed to have come from us, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Something you see the same things happening today, especially on, on social media. When, when somebody hears a report or a rumor about something, uh, then people on social media, they're, they're all texting each other, or they're all Facebooking each other, or whatever means that, that you use on Facebook. And, and you're spreading all these, these, these rumors and thoughts. Did you hear this? Did you hear that? Or you go onto the internet and you look for information. Any kind of information that you can find on, 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 on some rumor that, or some report that you have heard. And so also here in Thessalonica, it seems that some were saying, you know what, we heard that Paul received a prophecy. We heard that Paul received a prophecy from heaven that the Lord Jesus Christ has already returned. And there are others who say, we've heard that people said that he was speaking to other people about the fact that the Lord Jesus has already returned. And others said, we heard that Paul wrote a letter in which he said the Lord Jesus has already come back. Some think perhaps maybe there was a counterfeit letter of Paul because Paul at the end of this letter says, look at what, how I handed this letter with my, writing with my own hands. So perhaps there was someone who had written a, a letter purportedly from Paul in, in which they made that particular claim. That's a possibility. Well, beloved, as we think about this, there's, today there are still people 
who are spreading lies or rumors about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are those today who talk about what they call the rapture. The rapture, which is that secret rapture in which the saved are carried off to heaven before the great tribulation comes. Then the question is whether the rapture has already happened. After all, if indeed the rapture is of a secret nature, uh, then we may become worried whether we have indeed missed it or, or not. Have we missed out maybe on our salvation? And then there are also many people over the, the ages who have tried to predict the date of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And they have said, no, Lord Jesus will come back on this and this date. And they warn people, you better repent because the day of doom is, is coming. Repent before it's too late. And the result of those rumors and these reports is that it begins to shake the minds of, uh, of many and, and begins to alarm God's people. God's people can get so caught up in their focus on those end days and those, end, and those issues with regard to the coming of the Lord Jesus that they become alarmed and worried often needlessly. And that's why Paul then so strongly reprimands the believers in verse 3. He says, do not let anyone deceive you in any way. And then you kind of ask yourself, well, if they've received these reports that Paul has said these things, is Paul not being maybe a little bit harsh in his rebuke against these believers? Do not be deceived by anyone in any way. How can the believers not be confused with all those conflicting rumors and all those reports that they're hearing? Well, Paul makes clear, he says, you know, the reason that you're alarmed and that you're shaken is because you haven't listened carefully to what I taught you when I was with you there in the city when I first brought the gospel to you. Notice what he says in verse 5. He says, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? Paul used to talk to them about the end days and about what they could expect before the coming of the Lord Jesus. Well, what are those things that Paul taught them when he first brought the gospel about that day of, of, of the Lord that's coming? Well, he reminds them what he taught them in verses 3 and 4. And we're going to look at uh, that in, in, in a few moments. First of all, the point that we need to understand that Paul makes here. Beloved, is how important it is for us as believers to be doctrinally sound. Or you can say, or to be well-grounded in the teachings of the Word of our God. For believers become confused only when they do not take the time to, to learn what the Lord God teaches us in His Holy Word and to then also understand indeed what God has said about the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do not know what God teaches, if you do not learn the Word of God well, then we will become open to all kinds of ideas that other people will talk about and we will be get swayed by this idea and swayed by that idea and we will be tossed back and forth. And after all, we don't know what to believe anymore. When we do not know God's Word, then it's so easy to be taken in by other ideas and being led astray. That's not only to, do, to deal with issues about the last days, but also to deal with all kinds of other doctrinal issues as well. 
And so here is a classic example of how these believers are being led astray. Why? Because they did not carefully listen to the teachings of the Apostle Paul. Or they may have remembered, but they didn't really go back to those teachings and they did not hang on and hold on to those teachings that Paul had given to them. Because if they had, then Paul's point is, then you would have immediately understood that those rumors and those reports, they must be false. Because they do not align with what we were being taught by Paul when Paul was here with us. And then they immediately they would have also felt at peace. Because they knew that those reports of the coming of the Lord Jesus couldn't be true. Because we would have known about it. The day of the Lord, therefore, it's still coming. We didn't miss it. We can be sure of that. Well, in order to put their minds at ease, Paul now reminds them of what, about what he taught them when he was indeed with them earlier. He says, remember I told you that the day of the Lord will not come until the rebellion or the apostasy occurs and the man of lawlessness or the man of sin is revealed, the man doomed to destruction or the man of perdition. A couple of things Paul says must happen. Before the, day of the Lord, before the day the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. First, the rebellion must occur. Rebellion or apostasy is probably a better way to, to translate uh, the, the point here, which means Paul is referring here to a falling away from God. And so he's talking about a, ga- a great rebellion that will take place against God. And so Paul says the first thing that will happen before the Lord Jesus Christ will return is that there's going to be open rebellion against God. And so he's dealing here, first of all, with people who have some connection already to the gospel. People, many who have already grown up in the church. People who who know the gospel, but who rebel against the Lord and who now join themselves with the devil and with all of his followers. We have a classic example of that taking place some 150 years before the Lord Jesus Christ came uh, to the world. Daniel already has prophecy with regard to the coming, um, to, to, to the future, and also talk about the apostasy that is, that is going to take place. And so here you already have an example of the first fulfillment of, the, uh, of that, that apostasy that is coming, and that fulfillment will, there are further fulfillments going on even after Christ, and that will continue on also to, to, to today. Well, 150 years before Christ, there was a ruler by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, who ruled over the people of Israel. And many of the Jews, God's own covenant people, in those days, they made an agreement with this Gentile ruler. An agreement in which they, they agreed they would no longer worship and serve the God of Israel, but now they would worship and they would serve the gods of Epiphanes, namely Zeus. And so they set up an altar in the temple and they sacrificed their sacrifices to the idols and the Maccabees. The Maccabees, we read that they also profaned the Sabbath. They profaned the temple and they profaned also the Sabbath day. So that was a time of great apostasy in Israel, 150 years before Christ came, in which the people des- deserted the, the, uh, their, 
their faith in, in the God of Israel, and they went and they followed uh, pagan, uh, pagan religion. Well, the Lord Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, which we read together, warns that a time was, is coming, he says, when many who call themselves Christians, they will turn away from the faith, and they will betray, and they will hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And so because of the increase in wickedness, Jesus goes on, the love of most will grow cold. So those are words of the Lord Jesus. And, and now Paul reminds us in our text in 2 Thessalonians that the time is coming when those words of the Lord Jesus will be fulfilled, when many who call themselves believers will openly rebel against Christ and they will deceive the pe God's people with their false uh, teachings. And if we think of what we see going on today, beloved, we see also how, also in our world today, the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Paul and of the apostles, how they're being fulfilled. How many churches are there not today call themselves churches of Christ where the gospel is no longer being preached? Where preachers act like false prophets that the Lord Jesus speaks about. And they bring a, their own twisted message, a message that they think will better suit our society and the way that people in our society think. Rather than being faithful to God's word and bringing the good news of, of life and salvation in Jesus Christ. And so we already see evidence of this taking place today. Although it's not just today, we have, if you look back in the history of the church, you, also in previous century, you think at the time of the Reformation in the 1500s, we see also how the gospel in many different times, in many different places, over time have been twisted by false teachings and false prophets and teachers. And so it shouldn't come to, to us as a surprise when we see this open rebellion against the Lord Jesus Christ as people openly disobey the word of the Lord. But then Paul also brings up the second thing that he says must occur, and that is that the man of lawlessness or the man of sin must be revealed. The man, he says, who's doomed to destruction or the man of perdition. And so the apostasy or the rebellion, that will be a movement that is going to be led by various peoples and powers. We might even refer to them as Jesus does and as John does in his letters as antichrists. Antichrists in the plural. But Paul tells us that this rebellious movement that he's talking about here one day will have a leader. A leader whom he calls the man of lawlessness. And sometimes scriptures refer to this man as the, as the antichrist. And so he is called the man of lawlessness. Why? Because he opposes the very law of God and he defies the very will of God. And this wicked leader, he's not, he's not passive in his defiling and his opposing Christ. No, he aggressively, he rebels against the Lord God and he is determined that he will destroy God's people. So we ask ourselves, so who is this man of lawlessness, this man of sin? 
course, we haven't seen him yet, so we don't know who he is. But we can say is this, is that he is not Satan. Not Satan. For verse 9 tells us uh, that when the man of lawlessness come, he will do his work in accordance, in accordance with the work of Satan. In other words, he will carry out the work that Satan orders him to do. You'll notice in verse 9, and that just text that follows our, and that's the verse that follows our text. In verse 9, it says that this lawless one will be revealed. Will be revealed. That word revealed parallels the fact that we're told that the Lord Jesus, when he comes, he will be revealed from heaven. So you notice there's a parallel here. As the Father reveals his Son by sending his Son Jesus Christ to do his work here in this world, what does Satan do? Satan do? Satan now mimics God by revealing the man of lawlessness as the one who comes to this world to do his wicked, wor- wicked world, his wicked wor- work here in this world. So you see what happens here is Satan wants to be God. And because he wants to be God, he then also mimics the actions of Almighty God. As Jesus Christ is the one the person who is sent by the Father to this world. Now Satan sends the man of lawlessness as the person who will come and fulfill his wicked work. And therefore, over against the Christ, over against Christ, this man of lawlessness is the Antichrist. You can say he is the Counterchrist. And although he comes in great power, verse 9 then talks about his power as he will come with great signs and wonders. Yet the scriptures give him the title here of the man doomed to destruction or the man of perdition. What tells us, beloved, is that his power is a fake power. For he cannot stand before the power of God or the power of Jesus Christ. And when he comes, this is what he will do, verse 4 says. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. When the lawless one comes, Paul says he will oppose God, just as Satan is opposing God. And the reason that he opposes God is because he wants to exalt himself over everything that is called God and everything that is worshipped. Notice here that he's not only opposed to the God of heaven, but he is opposed to every God and every religion that mankind serves. He will attempt to sweep away all religion, Christian religion as well as pagan religions, because he will not tolerate any other rivalries. Why not? Because he wants to fulfill the first commandment that God gives. You shall have no other gods before me. If that's what God demands, then also this man of lawlessness demands the same for himself. There will be no other gods before me. He declares himself to be the God of this world. And therefore, Paul says, he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Notice here, he doesn't set himself up as an earthly ruler. 
He's not interested in having authority and power just over an earthly kingdom or over a part of the world. We know over the course of history there have been many government powers who have been in, in the service of Satan. Government leaders who have opposed the church by persecuting the church. But no, here the man of lawlessness sets himself up as the great spiritual ruler who has moral authority over all of mankind. He sets himself up there in God's temple. Well, God's temple is the place where the Lord God lives in the midst of his people. And then you think of Epiphanes or Antiochus Epiphanes in 150 years before the Lord Jesus Christ. When he came to Jerusalem, he erected a pagan altar on the, over the altar of burnt offerings. And there he offered sacrifices to, uh, the God, to the god Zeus. And of course, that was an abomination to God. And there he came, this foreign ruler, and he took over the temple of God in Jerusalem. But that was nothing. For now we have this man of lawlessness who comes, and he will set himself up in the temple of God, which is his church. And he will declare that he alone is God. That all mankind must come and must bow down and must worship and must serve him. You know, in the history of the church, there are many who have acted as false prophets. There are also some who have demanded that people worship them. We think of many cultic figures who set themselves up as objects of worship. And yet, beloved, none, none has had the stature that the man of lawlessness one day is going to achieve. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why none of these have ever achieved the stature that the man of lawlessness will, will achieve. Paul tells us why in verse 6 when he says, and you, know what is hold, and you know what is now holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. As Paul says to the believers in Thessalonica, he says, you know what is holding the man of lawlessness back. And as we read that, we say, but we don't know. I don't know what they knew, what the believers there in Thessalonica knew. And so that Paul is writing that there is something that the Thessalonians know and that we're not aware of. One of those things, again, one of those details that the Holy Spirit has not revealed to us. Paul must have revealed to them something in their day or something that was there in their city that was holding the man of lawlessness from yet being revealed in this world. And so what we can say today is that the Holy Spirit has kept that hidden from us. Since what was holding him back in that time may indeed be different from what is holding, holding him back today. Now first, when Paul says he is being held back, he means that there is something that is keeping the man of lawlessness from being revealed at this time. There's something that is restraining this wicked person from coming today. Now you read the commentaries, you will find that there are many different ideas and theories about what it is that might be holding him back from appearing. Already in the early church there were different uh, theories and ideas as well. Uh, but the problem is that when you read all these different theories, uh, it, it is distracting and because it only gets us into speculation, because we really, in the end, have to say we don't know. Paul gives a little more detail in verse 7, where he says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. 
The secret power literally is the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. You know that a mystery in, in Scripture refers to something that was unknown and that is being revealed in time. And so the thought is uh, that although the lawless one is not here yet, nevertheless the secret power of lawlessness is already at work in the world in which we are living. Strong opposition against God and opposition against the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is already present in this world. It was present then already there in Thessalonica, as it was in many other places too where Paul brought the gospel. Today we also find great opposition against the Christian church. We find it, for example, in China where it appears that the Chinese authorities are only clamping down even harder against the Christians in their midst. Christians are being persecuted in the Middle East, the Muslim nations, parts of Africa. And we find in more subtle ways, we find those Christian churches being more and more opposed in North America and Europe. We already see the power of lawlessness and rebellion against God taking place throughout the world, and we see it even here in this country in which we're living. But Paul says that power of lawlessness in opposition to God, it's being held back so that he's not able to do his full and terrible works. And then Paul also says, he says, and the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. Again, there are a number of, of ideas about who this person or perhaps who, what this power is that is holding the powers of lawlessness in check. Well, Paul doesn't tell us who it is or, or what it might be if it is a thing. He just assures us. He assures his beloved that he will keep those wicked powers in check. That God will keep those wicked powers in check until he is taken out of the way. And so you notice it is the Lord God himself who will remove whatever is holding those wicked powers in check. In verse 6, Paul says that this will happen at the proper time. The proper time is a time that the Lord God himself has determined that this will happen. And why does Paul tell us all that? Well, he does that, beloved, because he wants to also encourage us, and he wants to give us that wonderful assurance that we have the Almighty God in heaven who, is, who remains in control, and he will not allow that man of lawlessness to, to be revealed and to set himself up as the God of this world until, until the time that God has set and that God is ready for that. You know, beloved, as we look at this text and many other texts that deal with the last days, with Matthew 24, whether it be the book of Revelation, whether it be Daniel, You know, there are many things that are a mystery to us, many things that we don't fully understand, many things that the Lord hasn't revealed to us. In some ways, it's almost like God has is, is given us broad strokes, paint strokes or brush strokes, in which he's painting the, with the end time without any rule, rule definition other than the fact that he's revealed to us these are some of the broad things that you can expect are, are going to happen. And so God's purpose is not to give us an exact description so that we can determine the exact time when the end is going to be here. Well, the end will come at a time the Lord Jesus himself says that you do not expect. 
And yet at the same time, the Lord Jesus says, but I will reveal to you, these are the things that must happen before the end will come, before I will again return from heaven. And so, therefore, you should not let the things, when you, when you see those things happening that I spoke to you about, don't let those things shake your mind. Don't let that alarm you and make you anxious and worried. But you may rest fully assured that soon, these things show that soon the Lord Jesus will again be revealed from heaven. And when you see the lawlessness increase all around you, and when you see opposition against God and against His people becoming fierce, then the Lord also says, but that is a sign that the end is coming quickly and that the man of lawlessness will soon make His appearance here on the earth. And when the lawless one comes, then he will be given free reign to do whatever evil and wickedness he desires. He will come, he will persecute the believers, and he will demand of all mankind that they worship him as God. All those who oppose the man of perdition, the man doomed to eternal destruction, will suffer terrible things. But the Lord Jesus himself tells us that his time will be cut short. Because just as the man of lawlessness thinks that he has now won, and he boasts about his accomplishments, and he sees all these people in the world coming to him and, and bowing down and worshiping him, then Paul says in verse 8, the Lord Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of the glory of his coming. So Paul says, Beloved, he says, you do not need to fear the appearance of the lawless one when he comes. For when he finally does appear, then you know that the end will also be near. Today, the lawless one is being held back. But when the lawless one is, be, is revealed, then the Lord Jesus will come and he will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth. So there's not going to be this long, drawn-out battle that sometimes people talk about, you know, the the bloody battle of Armageddon. No, when the lawless one comes, the, in, the, the defeat will be instant, for the lawless one displays fake, or you can say, as verse 9 does, counterfeit power. While the Lord Jesus, as the Son of God, He comes with real power. That's why Paul says, he says, with the breath of His mouth, He will overthrow Him. Praise the Lord Jesus with, with a, a word of his mouth, with a breath. He can command that the world come into existence in the beginning. If he can command with a breath uh, that people be healed in the many miracles that he did when he was here on this earth. If he can with a breath command the storm on the sea to be still and to be quiet and it obeyed him. And beloved, with a word of command from his mouth, he can instantly destroy this fierce enemy of God's people. All mankind thinks that they're so strong and powerful, and the devil thinks he's pretty powerful too. But Paul reminds us, he says, but they are nothing compared to the power of Christ. And the lawless one, he will be destroyed, Paul also says, by the splendor of his coming. Your translation says the brightness of his coming. 
When Christ returns in the clouds of heaven, he will come in great splendor, in glory, in brightness, accompanied with the myriads and myriads, with the thousands and thousands of angels at his side. And when he appears in his splendor, beloved, it will cause all mankind to tremble in fear, and the lawless one too will tremble before the glory of Christ. Then all his bravado, all his boasting will be gone. Because then instantly he knows that his gig is up. Then he knows I cannot stand up for a moment against the power of Christ who is now being revealed. Well, brothers and sisters, we often worry and we're often so anxious about what is happening in the world in which we're living. We're often concerned what's going to happen to the church in this world. But beloved, here the Apostle Paul also encourages us, showing us that we have nothing, nothing to fear. All the opposition against God and against us as His people, they may be great. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. But what we remember, beloved, is that their power is nothing compared to the power of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, we rejoice. And with great confidence, we look also forward for that day of the Lord, that it may come. And then we confess, we see also in the things around us, the day of the Lord is coming. It is coming quickly. And therefore, our prayer is, Maranatha, come. Lord Jesus. Amen.